I'm Matthew Woods, host of Leaving Out of the Woods, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Coming up on episode 95 of Podcast PD, this is our pod study number two. We sit down with Eric and Ryan from the Peg Doesn't Fit to discuss their dream schools. This is Podcast PD, the show that provides you with anytime, anywhere professional development. Our conversations and guests will provide you with the learning you might get in a faculty meeting or on a PD day. Except you're going to have more fun with AJ Bianco, Stacey Lindis, and me, Chris Nessie. Let's start the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to episode 95 of Podcast PD. My name is Chris Nessie, at Mr. Nessie on Twitter, and I am joined as always by my podcast compadres, Stacy Lindis and Archie Joshua Bianco. Stacy, how are you? I am doing all right, Chris. I'm doing all right. Uh, got COVID shot number two yesterday. I am recovering. Yeah, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I am. Um, yeah, it's like a COVID hangover almost. It's a very, I don't know. My husband said I looked high today. I've never been high in my life. So that was kind of interesting. Okay. Yeah. You're going to cut that out, right? Nope. Yep. What's coming out? What what minute are we at? Like 325. That gets Why cut can't out. the world know that you've never been high? I've never been high. I've never done drugs in my life. Anyway. Dare, um, dare work yeah. for me. I'm it super excited. Street cred, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm super excited uh, to have COVID shot number two under my belt and uh, got my sticker. It was like super easy. One, two, three, done. What? I got my AG first just one raised today. his hand. I got my first one today. I didn't get a sticker. Oh, I got like a whole paper like last time I said I got the shot because and I wrote I got the shot because I can't wait to see all my kids in one place. Nice. It's like a participation trophy. I participated. <laughs> I deserve that piece of paper and my sticker and yes, my little COVID did. card. Yeah. So I'm doing all right. Recovering from my COVID COVID shot number two hangover. Yeah. How about you? What's going on, AJ? Oh, you know, living the dream. Weather's getting nicer. Yankees are doing spring training things so i'm cool i'm fine everything's good in this end my arm hurts i'll be honest with you it kind of hurts a little bit left arm right arm left arm left arm yep and the boys think it's funny hey guys i can't lift you up with that arm so they decide to lift themselves up on the arm oh, but no. we're good we're good we're great <laughs> nice. chris how are you my man I'm I'm tired um today oh, as aj saw on facetime i dug my own grave yeah, that'll get your attention. Yes, yeah, literally. Um, off the side of my driveway, which I had black topped in the spring, uh, we before Christmas got a portable basketball hoop, and I dug out into a hill on the side of my house, a place where I could put down some pavers and get the basketball hoop off of the walkway to my house, to the other side of the driveway. So I was digging a hole today, and there was way more dirt in the spot that I dug out than I thought should have been there physically. So I'm hurting. Plus. Uh, early this week, I started going back to uh, to CrossFit. Not a CrossFit. Got to say yeah, CrossFit. I was there. Got to say CrossFit. And uh, I'll be back at it tomorrow after digging a hole today. Do they make money every time somebody says CrossFit? Is that how it works? Not a CrossFit. No. 
I don't sit here and say Peloton every five seconds. <laughs> That's <laughs> killing me. In case you guys didn't know, Chris goes to CrossFit. And AJ rides. We know. Look at this. I play something of Stacy's, but then I she was waiting for so it. Yep. I, so I won't. Thank that, you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, AJ, get us into the meat and potatoes. We got two great guests here with us tonight, and it's pod study number two. Take it away. Yeah. So there we go. Chris just said it's pod study. Pod chip. Hmm? Huh? Let's rewind that. See, Stacy, we're just gonna leave it in there. This is pod study he, number I, two. You have Yeah. I hate this. This is why we're not gonna make it to one hundred. I'm over this. I'm done with this nonsense. This is pod study number two. Stop interrupting me. Smack me in the face. I'm not talking anymore. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Come on. <laughs> this is pod study number two. And if you remember from previous episode, we told you to listen to episode 15 and 17 of the podcast, The Peg Doesn't Fit. And here we are with the gentleman from The Peg Doesn't Fit, Eric Steven and Ryan D. Bartle 1. I just wanted to say that because I hear it every time and I think it's hilarious. Perfect. Because I actually did tweet yes. at Ryan Bartle once and it just wasn't you. So oh, well, that guy <laughs> he at least he knows what it is now. He, he, the first show, yeah. I was like, what's your Twitter, Ryan? He's like, uh, so we're, we're converting him into the world of Twitter. That's cool. So I, I just want to say, I love you guys. You guys show is doing, doing great. I think uh, we appreciate you know, that. You guys are really, you have a great Thank point you. of view and, and the things you talk about are so spot on. And it's kind of, we wanted you here because I think a lot of your ideas kind of gel with what we have. So, why don't we let you guys introduce yourselves real quick? Because when I hear you guys, you guys, I know you're from Kansas. So every time I hear you guys, it's like Smallville versus Metropolis in my Superman world. Okay. So Perfect. feel free, introduce yourselves as brief as you want to go. Go ahead, Ryan. Well, I am Clark Kent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I live in central Kansas and teach. I've been teaching since 2003. Never left education, uh, I, I say, though I actually did leave the teaching world for about four years to do some stuff uh, in the manufacturing world, but it's influenced me greatly. And so here I am back. Uh, Eric often mentions that I'm an aspiring uh, principal. So uh, we're about to that point, and a lot of it had to do with the things I experienced outside education, which I think gave me a fresh perspective on uh, what maybe education could and should look like. I'm Eric Steven. And before I get started, uh, so you're a Yankees fan, but I just I want to verify that you're from Jersey. So should that make you a Mets fan or no? Yankees? No, no I'm Yankees all the way. So my parents were Mets fans because they're from Brooklyn. So they gotcha. had to choose a team and they didn't want to go with the Yankees. So they tried to bring me up a Mets fan, but that didn't work for them. No, it, it's easier to root for the winning team. That's what I so. say. Thank you. Dave, friend yeah. Joseph, you're out there. That's for you. <laughs> Oh, he's watching. Well, I know. <laughs> I know. I saw him out there, too. So, yeah, my name is Eric Steven. I am an assistant principal at a middle school. I've uh, been in education since 99. So I, I don't know how many years that is. 21, 22 years. Uh, spent some time uh, like Ryan. I was an English teacher. And then when I left English, I got out into the data world and was in a data instructional coach and then rolled into administration and um, and here I am. And like I said, the reason, you know, if you've listened to our show, we we kind of started the show because Ryan and I, we talk about this stuff anyway all the time. And one night we were just like, maybe we should, you know, just record our conversations and let other people listen in. So that's how the show came about. That's the way to do it. That's how it happened here as well. So 
it, it's nice. It's good to see that you guys have that conversation recorded because I think there are some powerful conversations there. Thank you. All right. So let, let's just roll with this. So we recommended, or I recommended, episode 15 and 17 because I like the idea of the dream school. And it's something that we have talked about and something that we wanted to do. We never really got around to. We kind of hooked up with a lot of different things that we believe in in education. But for you guys, you know, you both had differing views on the dream school, but I really appreciated the way you, you tackled it because, you know, it's things that we all want to do as educators. It's ways we want to push things forward. And of course, it, it's it's bucking the trend and changing the systems. And I think that was really what was powerful about the episodes. You know, just I, I, hopefully the people out there who, who are listening right now had, had listened to your episodes is the whole point of this. But, you know, just for me, you know, a lot of things that stood out and I took notes. So forgive me if I'm just reading this. You know, Eric, in your episode, episode 15, you know, you focus on standards, the curriculum, remote learning. Uh, one thing that I love that I want to talk about today in great detail is your community day and the real world activities. Um, I love your idea of a feeder program with your middle schools and high schools. And, and of course, the electives to make your days elective heavy. So that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, your grading essentials, uh, the essential skills, and then obviously skills over content. So that was really powerful. Ryan, for you, you kind of laid it out. You you kind of blew my mind. I'll be honest with you. One thing that you hit us with as listeners was learning maps, badges, portfolios, and your budget based on community and, and their desire for what the school could do. That was awesome. So I, I appreciate that. So, I also like the three eyes. Did you talk? You want to talk not, about that? Go for it, Stacey. What, what do you have? I, yeah, I wrote so, them down. Go ahead. So Ryan also talked about. He started by talking about the three eyes. Um, his school being interoperable, interdisciplinary, and international, with um, an emphasis on inter- interdisciplinary. And um, both of you gentlemen talked about badges, which I thought was really interesting and really kind of getting rid of traditional grading. Condensing standards, that's what I thought was like a huge takeaway. Um, And then one of the things I really liked, I'm looking for it because I've got my little notebook here. Um, um, One of you talked about collaboration. um, Oh, there it is. Planning time and collaborative planning time. And I thought that that was really interesting, too, because as you guys know, as middle school teachers, you teach, you know, one or two lessons a day ish. Right. Um, as an elementary school teacher, right. I was like, well, that would be nice if all I had to do was plan, like if I had an extra hour to plan for one lesson every day. And that was, that was the bulk of my day. But um, just, I am going through some of this planning time now. So it was just really kind of interesting um, how you guys also talked about um, how Eric talked about figuring out how to build on what we've learned in the remote setting and use that in our, in our, in our future lives once we are post-COVID. And I thought that was really interesting, too, because I do hope that some of this planning time that my school has adopted becomes a, a, a staple in how we function as a school. Chris, was there anything you took away? I was interested in the badging and the budget stuff because, you know, badging is so powerful to document our learning. And I like the idea of gamifying, and I think badges kind of lend themselves to that and leveling up and taking what you're doing or what your students are doing to the next level Uh, and budgeting. There's a lot that goes into paying for education 
that I don't understand and I wish I knew more of and, to be quite honest, wish I had more control of. Those are the two things that I was really interested in. All right. How do you want to start? You guys just tell, I'm really curious you know, where this came from. So I'll let you guys both kind of talk. Where did this come from? What have you started in your schools? Eric, you are a vice principal. Correct. Ryan, you are in the classroom and striving to be, you know, AP or principal. So where does this come from? Where do you get these ideas? How do you implement them? Have you done any of that? Well, let's let's start with the remote learning, because one thing I noticed this year, you know, when we started and remote learning was so new, I mean, the teachers were just drowning. They, They were trying as hard as they could to teach, but they didn't. They didn't really know what they were doing and just, you know, watching them kind of make it through that. And really the main way that they made it through it was together. Um, At the beginning of the year, we set up a lot of collaborative planning opportunities and not so much to have, say, me or an instructional coach or somebody else actually lead that training. But we set up the rooms and we said, this is where the rooms are go to them. And we tried to put at least one teacher in each of those rooms that kind of had at least an idea of how it worked. And they just learned together and just to watch them grow throughout the course of the year and actually see some quality education happening in a remote setting. You know, we just got to thinking, I mean, I hope we don't lose some of this, you know, because that's, that's really the main premise of our, of our podcast is the fact that education, you know, started, I mean, it's been going on forever, but formally in the late 1800s and and really, I mean, there's been a few additions here and there and, and a lot of different initiatives. But really, we kind of just have been doing the status quo ever since we started. And this has really been education's opportunity to take that step forward and do some stuff a little bit differently. And, and unfortunately, you know, we are thrown into this by a terrible pandemic, um, but why go back to the way it was when we can take what we've learned and put it to the, you know, that stuff will still work when kids are face to face. So that's kind of how it all started. What are your thoughts, Ryan? I think you're, you're right about that. We've, this has ripped the bandaid off, so to speak. You know, I think there's a lot of every teacher. Well, I'll give every teacher credit for this, but I think almost all teachers desperately want to do something different different and they just don't know where to start they feel like something's wrong or they feel like you know i want to try this in my class and and don't know if they feel the full support or whatever and i think this has blown up everything so massively all the systems we have in place where we've had to be flexible and i think that has created this kind of openness to innovation which is i think you hit the nail on the head eric which is exciting to me um I guess I'll just jump into stuff that got got me going. Um, way back when I joined uh, the district that that Eric and I are now a part of in 2009, uh, I just started to feel like, man, how do I incentivize learning a little differently? And uh, how can I make this kind of gamified? And I didn't even know about badges, standards, reference grading, any of that stuff at the time. But I, I thought, I got to make this game for my kids. So I kind of researched what the heck Pokemon was, which was kind of big at the time, and uh, some of those other games and tried to come up with what can be a card-based way, game-based way to incentivize what the kids are learning. And so I I made these cards for all of our standards, uh, level one, two, three, 
And uh, as they mastered the standards, they got a level one card, you know, for that developmental, I can rec- I can point to where the main idea is kind of deal. And then as they leveled up their cards, they had more and more powers. I also uh, had this set of genre cards. So when they to incentivize reading, so every time they uh, read a book in a certain genre, they could get this magic card that kind of was like a super card in the game. And so when I put all that together, we would have battles on Fridays and does uh, I just pair them up and I gave them dice and said, here's, you know, the rules were on this little mat that I made for them to play. And I had never seen such a massive engagement in learning language arts because, frankly, I was bored with it. You know, I, I taught elementary for years and, and, you know, the magic of learning was still there. And I get to middle school and it's like um, for a lot of kids and even for me, some of the stuff I was teaching. So it made it fun again. And and that got me thinking, you know, so and then I left, got pulled away from education, had my eyes open to some things uh, and just like I mentioned, the budget. What if we could see uh, what that's like? And it's all based on some stuff that comes from Toyota. Um, you get into that. It's there's this old lean enterprise group. So if you ever want to do some research about that stuff, um, it's pretty fascinating. Everything is visible and visual. Everything like that. You do not hide from problems. You pull. You call them out. The entire company. Uh, they make a Camry every thirty seconds at the Toyota Camry plant. I think it's even faster. But if something happens on the line, you shut stuff down, and it will escalate quickly. But the even if the vice president of the company has to come down to the floor, he will thank you for calling up that problem and revealing it. So I, I was thinking about, you know, in education, do we actually hide when problems happen in our classroom or do we reveal them and um, celebrate the fact that I've got an issue with this kid or with the way my plan time is running or the way, you know, fill in the blank. And, uh, and I also think of the, our budget, you know, what do we know what's in our budget? Oftentimes, you know, where we have, we have procurement cards. Do you guys have those in your district for the teachers? Like a little visa card you can take to the store to buy. Okay. What do you guys use? Just pay with your own money and say, uh, Hey, so it's, 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 it kind of runs the gamut, but in my, in my district, I, we get like a 250 or so dollar budget. Uh, for classroom supplies and then we do get an extra 50 so that 250 has to get spent through the school and through like their like po's system and whatever and Mm. then another 50 um we used to do through receipts and we would bring it to the budget secretary but they have since added that to our our paychecks with the understanding that we already spend that money anyway so they added 50 dollars to your paycheck for the whole year yep whole 50 what's that divide what's that give you like 10 bucks a month about you only work five months a year eric <laughs> whatever i wasn't doing the math taxes. either i went i went right with it but like for me it's like it makes me feel a little less guilty but when i'm buying much. books you know or whatever right, right. Mm-hmm. which i would buy That's anyway but it's it. just nice yeah see ryan go back to to something you said you know do we hide what goes on in our classrooms absolutely because and i just came across this theory and i forget where it's life is a mess right now um Education, and correct me, panel, if I'm misspeaking, but can you think of another profession where when you are hired, you are hired based on your potential for excellence, and then once you are hired, you are evaluated based on everything you do wrong, and they're looking to find what you're not doing well more than 
what you're doing well. And that's how we're evaluated. Why, why would I be for, why would I be open about what's, what, what, what's challenging me or what I'm having difficulty with if that can later be then held against me? Exactly. That's, that's a great point. And, Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, we've, we've talked about, this is a great thing about this podcast because really it's also been an opportunity for Ryan and I just to, to meet a lot of different people from all over the country and learn so many different ideas and, and different ways of evaluation. But we were just talking about evaluation on our last, um, we just released this. We're, we're going to start doing these bonus episodes of Tweet of the Weeks. And we were talking about this last tweet that we saw from uh, Peter DeWitt. And he was basically talking about how, you know, evaluation shouldn't be done to teachers, but they should be done with teachers, you know. And, and one of the things that I talked about when we were highlighting this episode is that, you know, the evaluation system and, and the grading. And I know Jason asked something about um, badging, and I want to make sure we get to that. But um, the the scores of the evaluation kind of like letter grades, in my opinion, kind of get in the way of the actual evaluation because the teachers are so hyper focused on what that score is. You know what I'm saying? So if I go into a classroom and and, you know, I'm not going to talk about the specific component that we use, but we look for a variety of different elements and then we can score those anywhere from beginning to innovating, you know, and as far as the teacher's concerned, you know, applying is kind of where they want to be. That's, that's proficient. And if they score anything under that, like, it's like, they don't even read the feedback that you give. I mean, they read it, but it's like, they don't really read it because they're so mad that they didn't get in their mind what was considered an A, you know, whereas if we can just take those scores out and just leave feedback, we can have really good conversations. So one of the things I highlighted with Ryan is that, if I go into a classroom and, and score a teacher a developing, but leave some really good feedback, you know, hey, have you considered trying this and just really trying to get them to reflect on on how they could do something differently. And if I if I leave that feedback on a developing, the email that comes back is, why did I get a developing? I don't agree with that. Versus if I leave the exact same feedback and score it as applying, they'll email back and they'll say, hey, that's a really good idea. Thanks for seeing. You know what I'm saying? So so I get you, Chris, that, that it is, it does kind of feel like a gotcha. And I think that's just the way it's kind of always been and trying to get at least the teachers in my building. I think I'm trying to finally make some progress to get them to see, Hey, this is just me kind of coming in and being an outside observer because sometimes when you're teaching and you're in the middle of it, you, you really, you kind of need that extra feedback. So I wish that more teachers and administrators would look at that as a growth opportunity, but you know, just the way it's always been is, is it's a, it's, I gotcha. And you're right, Chris, it can be used against you later. You know, you never want to have that bad score because down the road, you know, you're always afraid that your job is going to be on the line because of it. And it's just not necessarily true. See, I also think it's important when you, when you talk about that, you know, it's the culture of your school. It depends on what you do. If you're, if you're seen as an administrator, it's coming around. Oh, be careful. Here comes AJ. He's going to evaluate mm-hmm. me during his walkthrough. Then it's over. Then that's the problem. If you can't walk into a classroom and have a teacher, you know, just be comfortable with the fact that you're in the room, you've already screwed up your school. Like right. our, our job as administrators, or as school leaders, is to make sure that we have set up that culture that I'm going to come around and I am your coach, that I'm going to help you and I'm going to find you the resources that you need in order to succeed. Not, I want to know what you're doing wrong and then I'll give you the resources. Right. You can't You can't be backwards. 
Well, and you got to be in there a lot too. Like if you only go in the room twice a year, <laughs> you know, then that twice a year that you're in there, they're going to get nervous and you're like, oh my gosh, the principal's in the room. But if you're in there like all the time, then it's just another day. Yeah. I think that's part of the problem too, is that there's almost to Chris's point, that gotcha mentality of like in my district, um, non-tenured teachers have four observations, tenured teachers have two. And then um, those of us who um, opted out of those types of evaluation do something called alternative eval. And we don't have formal observations. And instead we spend that observatory time having conversations with our supervisor, talking about a problem of practice and action steps to improve the outcomes for, you know, kind of like an action study. And it's, it's, I've done that for the last two, this is my third year. And it's been pretty incredible. Last year, kind of the breaks were kind of, they came to a screeching halt because of COVID, but this year we're doing it with more fruition. And I love it. I just think that it's something that um, it takes away that pressure of when are they coming in? Because as as I have a lot of non-tenured friends, um, and there is that anxiety built in of, mm-hmm. well, I, I'm just waiting. I can't relax until so-and-so comes in and I feel like I'm done being observed. And like, no one should ever live in that heightened sense of like, I'm going to be gotcha. Right. Um, and so that is really, really hard. But I want to go back to the statement that you said about, you know, do we live in this in this place where we're afraid to make those mistakes and share the things that are not going well? I really feel that that our new way of teaching, whether it be hybrid, virtual, or whatever combination they're in, has really, maybe not with administration, but really has let people be vulnerable in a way that in my 19 years of teaching, no one has really been vulnerable, right? So like, I feel like more people are having conversations about the technology that they don't understand, Mm -hmm. or how do we, how do we take math workshop and turn that into something that works both in and outside of the classroom? Um, when our kids are home virtual or you're teaching them synchronously. So I feel like um, it's been really helpful that we're all in the same boat. We don't necessarily have all the same tools and we're not all going the same way, but we're all kind of in that same boat and that this year and and the end of last year are new in a way. And it, it kind of has leveled a lot of the playing field, right? You don't have those, those um, super experts in any one area, right? Like, and I feel and like- yeah. And that's probably, I mean, it's, it sounds like it's added a lot of collaboration to your school. And Absolutely. and that is, that's the key. And I think so often, you know, I think um, principals or, or coaches or whatever, I mean, they might feel like they're the, you know, they're always coming at you at PD, giving you this and giving you that. But ultimately, if you, I forget who says this, but the best PD is, is from the teacher down the hall. You know, if you, if you just learn from each other, you're going to listen to the person that's in the trenches with you every day a lot more than you're, I mean, if you go sit in a PD, a lot of teachers and and I do the same thing in a staff meeting. I mean, you know, I mean, who wants to sit there and just be talked at the whole time when you can actually get with a group of people and learn from each other and you trust the people that you're, that are in the trenches with you as well. So I think collaboration is the key. It's just being able to set that up. And you're right. The vulnerability and the newness of all has kind of laid the, leveled the playing field. And 
everybody contributes to collaboration a little bit more versus if you're in regular and you got some science teachers that have been doing the same thing for 20 years and they're, they're pretty stubborn and they don't really want to change and they don't want to listen to the new person because they're teaching their content the way that they've always taught it. They might not be less, they might be less likely to buy into a collaborative setting, but with the remote, everybody has been just grasping for anything to help them do better. And having conversation about what is and isn't working. Right. And I think that that's been really beneficial too. Like you said, the person down the hallway, you know, if she's two days ahead of you in her lessons, you're learning from her just because she's already ahead of you. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, you can go in, but even just the collaborative nature, I, I really loved the idea. I know I, I kind of ribbed you in the beginning, like planning one lesson for middle school or two lessons for middle school, but we do have like our district instituted uh, at the request of, I would say our, our parent stakeholders, um, a screen-free afternoon each week, and um, that time for teachers and instructional assistants and support staff, that is time for us to collaborate or have additional professional development. And that has mm-hmm. been really helpful. Um, and I, I forget, I believe it was you, Ryan, who said, but there has, like, I don't want to have, um, I don't want to micromanage anybody's PD, but there has to be something that comes of it. And I, and I think that we are working really hard to make sure that we're not seen as, you know, shirking responsibilities during those, those that I think we have an hour and a half every day, during the hour and a half, every Wednesday or, or Thursday, it alternates, um, making sure that we're using it with fidelity and that we are being thoughtful and productive with the time that we're being given. And that's one of the other things we talked about, because with this COVID, a lot of districts have kind of switched up their schedules. Why do we have to go back to that same traditional schedule? Because I think it's brilliant to to have a Wednesday afternoon off, you know, and I've even talked to, to Ryan about this. And I mean, what if what if we were able to set up the school to where and, you know, I know that maybe teachers won't like this, but do away with the daily planning and do away with the daily team times and the daily PD so on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can maximize instruction. And then like Wednesday morning can be like four hours straight of planning time that you give a teacher just four hours straight in their room to do all their planning. Because, you know, doing it in long periods of time versus chunked up in 45 minutes here and there, you know, maybe you have to stop before you get started in that 45 minute plan time, but just give that full morning for planning and then use the full afternoon, throw in some PD and then give the teachers time for collaboration on that time. That's not actually a pipe dream because uh, Mel in the chat shared the, and she's in Columbia that her school has short Wednesdays and classes end at noon. So it sounds like where Mel is, <clears throat> they have that afternoon time. So a little before covid I shall have to let us know because we have that now, too, in our district. We have that, that it's a half day and in the afternoon is is the planning. But that's also because we've given our teachers extra planning because of the additional prep time that the remote setting takes. Once we do away with remote and come back, why do we have to give that back? You know, there's so much emphasis on seat time that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's going to make us all come back and, and you know, we're going to have to do what we have to do because we got to have the kids there. And I know, you know, there's bigger powers at play. I mean, we can't just I mean, who's going to watch the kids? You know what I'm saying? For elementary. I mean, it puts a burden on parents because they have to who's work. Watching them now? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, you know, so I don't know. But Wednesdays have always been short. So I like that, Mel. Thanks for sharing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I also like the um, 
the part where you talked about having a hybrid or a blended school at the Mm -hmm. end of all of this, right? Like that being something that sticks for the kid who does, you know, thrive in a more computer-based setting, right? You know, that's going to be the kid that takes online classes in college and does not actually attend university in a traditional model. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm not someone who thrives in that type of setting. I know that about myself, but it's not for me, right? It's for, it's what's best for kids. So it would be interesting to see if there are, um, those types of opportunities that exist for kids. I mean, we do a lot of that with, um, with homeschooling anyway, when the kid has like a sickness or a reason that they cannot come to school and it's just a different level. But you're right. Some kids have really thrived. Ryan and I talked about in one of our episodes about a kid we saw in the office and this kid is, he's kind of socially awkward and he was borderline bullied and he just didn't get along with kids. And it was such a disruption and he was in trouble a lot, but in this online setting, he has been doing remarkable. Uh, he has great grades. He turns in all of his assignments. And, and part of that is because the social aspect. Now, granted, does a kid like that need to probably have some practice being around people and, and developing those social skills? Absolutely. You know, but who knows? Maybe he's going to get a job someday working in a cubicle on a computer doing sales with people in other parts of the country and he'll be fine. Or he'll work so, from home. Yeah, which which to believe it or not, a lot of businesses aren't going to go back to the way things went before COVID because they have realized that they can be just as successful without having all the overhead of the people coming to the office and being able to work from home. So if the business world can make that adjustment, so can we. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that's something that we continue to talk about is the, the fact that school is so antiquated. You know, you, you mentioned it earlier, it's an 1800s model and we're just still doing it. We still have the rows. We still have the bells. We still have things that we shouldn't have, you know, in the 21st century. You know, we keep talking about 21st century schools, but we're still with 1800, you know, 1900, yeah. uh, 19th century. 1300s, if you actually go back far enough, there's a there's a I think I mentioned in mind that there's a painting from the University of Bologna that has like kids sitting in a listening to a lecturer, some are sleeping, some are goofing off talking in the back. And it's just hilarious because this is literally a 700 year old painting of today's classroom. And that's the way it breaks down. Like we're still doing the same thing. The same things are still happening. And only those select few like you gentlemen are, are trying to make those changes. And, you know, like I said, the things you guys had brought up in the episodes, both episodes 15 and 17, I really thought were ideal and, you know, just listening to you both, just like, yes, that'd be awesome. Yes. How do we do this? So I'm going to ask how, how do we do this? Is there any chance? Cause you guys are both, you both spoke about it, the community day and really involving the community and having that, that feeder program and having students, you know, maybe lined up for jobs before they even leave high school for those who don't want to go to college. Are you guys doing anything like that in your district? There is something started actually, uh, it's very small, but I'll, I'll call it a pilot practically. Um, there last year we had this, this group of local businesses, industries called dream keepers. And I think it started a little before that, but they actually came and did a, um, about four of them. Four was the plan for the year where they brought the field trip to the school and our seventh graders had the day to go explore these different careers. And I think in a sense, that's where it starts. Now, that's not what 
Eric and I were talking about, but that gives the kids the exposure to the businesses and the industries. And it also, you know, if you take that up to 12th grade, that starts to give the industries exposure to these up and coming kids. And there are some kids in eight, like actually the eighth grade group, I think had a welding simulation that came back for a different time. And some of these kids were like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be a welder. Like as soon as they hit that, they wanted to go practice more. They couldn't get enough of it. And it was, they were hooked. And it was something that had that, this group not come, they would have not had exposure to that. And so, and these people also got to know, you know, some of these kids that are interested in that kind of thing. So I think that's where you could start just making yeah. some of those kind of uh, on, on-site field trips. And I think it would have to start small, like uh, like we talked about in our episodes um, in terms of having a feeder pattern, because if there's a way that we could get the community to buy in, you know, and I use this example um, when I was talking with Ryan, I think during his episode. But, you know, like let's say the um, you know, we're from Kansas. So let's say that K-State wants to have a football camp in the summer. You know, so they come to uh, Wichita and they're going to have a football camp where all these football players are going to go to to get this camp and learn these football skills. Right. And yes, they're going to come out of there with football skills. But listen, K-State did not set that camp up necessarily to teach football skills. I mean, that's a byproduct. Those kids are learning because they're coming to the camp. But K-State set that camp up so they can send their coaches there with their clipboards and start finding kids that will be good football players for K-State in the future so they can start offering scholarships. So what if we did something like Ryan just kind of talked about, but we got these businesses to really buy in and say we just did it. We started with like a magnet school you know, that fed into this high school and these corporations and these companies came back and did these these field trips. And I I don't know the frequency of how often they would come, but really what if they're coming there? And yes, the byproduct is, is kids are getting some real world experiences, but at the same time, these businesses are able to step back and take some notes on which kids have high learning capacities, which kids work really well with people and they can start connecting with these kids. And then as they go into high school, we can develop some mentorship programs and some internship programs. And listen, I know college is, is the end goal usually, but here's the deal. The, the college is expensive and it puts a lot of kids in a pile of debt before their life even gets started because they've got to take all of these loans out to pay for this college. And when they get out of college and they get offered a job, you know, depending on which field is it, is it, it is in, they're going to need significant training to be able to do it. So why, why can't we just kind of start looking at finding these kids when they're younger and hiring them out of high school and saying, Hey, come work for me and I can train you to do the job at my business. And let's just, let's just go, you know, it's like getting a, it's, it's like an NBA player going out of high school straight to college. You know what I'm saying? Why wait for him to go to college? I mean, th- that kid's clearly good enough to play basketball. Let's and, and I and I hate to use that excuse because there's such a small percentage of kids that make it to the professional sports. But trust me, if you're good with people and you have a high learning capacity, I could teach you to do anything. I mean, shoot, I went to teacher college. I didn't learn how to teach. So I started teaching. <laughs> That's all of us. <laughs> um, but but Eric, what, what you just said there and, and, I'm, and I was point because I'm like it, it. The NBA concept came into my head. You know, the person who can make the jump from high school to the pros. And you said a very small percentage of student athletes could do that. I would wager 
that there is a higher percentage of high school graduates who could step into on-the-job training absolutely, and become a professional in a career. And, you know, you'd almost harken back to, you know, the 40s and the 50s where you got your job young, you built loyalty with your company because they provided for you, you provided to the company, and uh, maybe things could be better for everybody. Right. And and we're talking this, this now this what when I preface my episode, you know, I preface saying, you know, there's obviously a lot of things that are completely out of my control. You know what I'm saying? Um, but what if we got these these businesses that, that say, you know what, okay, here's the deal. And I I don't know how much a, a person makes when they get out of college and goes to a job outside of teaching, but I don't know, maybe they're paying them seventy-five grand a year. I, I don't know. But you know, you could hire if you could restructure your business. You know, you don't have to pay an eighteen-year-old coming out of school seventy-five grand a year. You know, but you could pay them forty and and train them, and then give them your salary scale and say, "Here's the deal: if you stick this out and go through these trainings, you're gonna be making this in five years. I guarantee it." You know, so that will help them kind of restructure their their payment schedule. And allow them to invest more money in a training facility and some some trainers to prepare these really high quality candidates that we're pulling out of high school. And then we talked about and, and this might kind of disrupt college, because if you go to a college website to get a degree and, and you want to try to figure, you can get a degree in anything. You know what I'm saying? But half of it is like a complete waste of time because you really don't even need that degree to get that kind of job. But people think I have to go to college, so I need to go to college and get an interior decorating degree. You know what I'm saying? But if you're just super creative, <laughs> you know, and, and can kind of market yourself, you can be a quality interior decorator. You don't need a college degree for that. So so what it might help is colleges kind of narrow back down their majors to make more sense and not have to have a major for everything because everybody thinks you have to go to college to get a job because that's the way our society is set up. But it doesn't have to be set up that way. And I think there's a shift away from that. And we're in the midst of that shift where you're seeing more kids. And I know at least here in New Jersey, we talk about at the high school level, are we getting the kids college ready or career ready? Right. Because there's already that discussion of not every kid's cut out or should go to college and take on the debt. And maybe what they want to do, they can just go do. So, We've had that conversation numerous times on this show too. Just yeah, not not everyone needs a degree, and not well, every profession calls for that yeah. either. Yeah, and you brought up—I don't know which one of you guys brought up—but talk. I think it was you, AJ, talking about how we talked about having schools more elective heavy. You know, if if you're in high school and you're you're elective heavy, um, they can almost become technical colleges. You know, for those people that are doing that track. Um, so, so I just think there's so much potential. Um, we've also talked about standards, you know, and, and reducing the number of standards. I mean, I don't have the standards in front of me to talk about what they say, but it would appear that rocket scientists are putting together our standards and we just need to kind of step back and get some common sense. Um, because when we're talking about reading, OK, I mean, listen, you, you need to know how to read and you need to know how to understand what you're reading and, and maybe do some arguments. I mean, but do we have I mean, I don't know when the last time one of you guys read a magazine and really thought, OK, I'm really going to get in and evaluate 
and connotate all of the, you know what I'm saying? I mean, why do we have to make everything with such big words and, and do all this focus when the bottom line is we can just kind of figure out what's the most important thing to teach and let's teach it and, and let's, let's teach it why instead of coming up with 50 to 60 standards that we have to hit and we hit all of them really little, let's, let's just figure out the 10 most important things and teach them really well. And we were really inspired, I think, by David Franjosa when he came on our podcast, too, just saying, you know what, we whittle them down and then we hit them all, you know, all throughout the year. We're just cycling back. And that's so good for those kids to build that efficacy, too, on a small focus piece, because our brains can't handle five jillion standards, which, you know, it's in Kansas, it's 50 for language arts, every grade, 50 for math. I think there's maybe five or eight for the for math and science, or I mean for science and social studies. And it's like, what if math and language arts also just had five? You know, you can your brain can wrap around that kind of thing, or even just if consolidating I, them, right? Right. Like right now, there's I'm so going into I'm going into a unit of study that is reading in the content areas. That's literally what it's called. Well, then why don't I take all of that social studies work and bring that into what we're doing exactly all of the science work and we talked about the interdisciplinary as well i mean that was one of the guys social studies and language arts are so closely aligned i mean matter of fact when you're a social studies teacher you are kind of a language arts teacher you're just teaching um you know (laughs) non-fiction you know what i'm saying so why can't they have the same reading standards and that's what i do appreciate about our social studies standards is that they are kind of broad you know, uh, I think I was in a class the other day and his standard is, you know, I think the overall arching standard is choices have consequences. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's a good thing to understand that choices have consequences and then go back through history and see what the consequences of the choices that people made throughout the history um, of America and talk about, OK, what if we had made a different choice? How would that have changed the way that things changed there that history unfolded. So I'm, I'm all about condensing standards into common sense standards and just giving the kids the basics. And here's the bottom line. If you super love math or science, right? I mean, and you do have an elective heavy school and you can start to really, you know, make those higher level science classes a choice. People that really like science are going to choose those, you know, they're, they're going to choose them. But if I've got the basics for science, like me as an administrator to middle school, you know, I mean, yeah, I dissected a frog when I was younger, but I don't use that right now. It means nothing to me, you know, and I get it. I mean, I guess I had to do it, but why did I really have to do it? Do I really need to understand how all those muscles interact and work with each other if I'm not going to be like a, a doctor? <laughs> you know, I just I need the basics to and then I can choose what I really want. Let, let me ask everybody this, and I love the idea of the elective heavy school. So, and, and I, whoever wants to jump in could jump in, but if we had that, those electives need to be taught by somebody. So what elective would you want to teach? Would it be in your discipline or if your school came to you and said, you could teach, come up with a class, you could teach the class. What do you want to teach that would be an elective? I know where I would go, but I'll give you guys a couple seconds to think, and I'll say some more words out loud. I'll, I got some words before anybody shares, but I, I was thinking about how cool that would be if that exists, you know, K-12, because teachers could teach their passions, just like you're asking us. 
like how much more exciting could school be for the kids too? Because you get to see your teacher excited about, you know, holy cow, guess what? You know, we're into it. Not just because, well, I really like the, uh, the work we do about World War II. Like I hear a lot of teachers get excited about that. To me, that bores the crap out of me. But the fact that those teachers are excited about that, I guarantee you those kids really get into it when they're in those rooms hearing about, you know, whatever that is, because these teachers love it. Well, before I I, I share mine, I I do want to share, I got to shout out my wife. She's a high school librarian. And what she does at her high school is she catalogs the faculty. Not in their subject area, but she catalogs them based on their interests. And she, when things were normal, would do these lunch and learns where teachers could come in in the library and almost give like a TED talk about their interests. And she always referenced a teacher who loves to surf, who teaches biology, or she's got another uh, teacher who loves to fish. And the guy comes in, he talks about fly fishing and just is an opportunity to connect with teachers and students in a different way. But she catalogs her faculty in the database. So that's cool. Look up a teacher that's cool. and see what they're passionate about. And you know what, if, if you're a kid and you know that your teacher has that interest level, well, I mean, how cool is that going to be? Because really a, a big thing about learning and, and is just making those connections with adults. So that allows kids to see the adults in a different light and, and make those connections and, you know, there'll be more, some kids only come to school because of the electives. You know what I'm saying? And and now they can go come to school and take something from their favorite teacher that they have a lot in common with and just make that bond. And they'll just, I, I don't know. I just, I see there's so much value in that. And for anybody who thinks it's impossible, it's not because we see that through athletics, through the teachers who coach. And you have students who build relationships with their coaches who are also teachers. So the relationship building happens already through athletics. Right. Um, and that coach could go pop in that kid's classroom and say, come here for a second, buddy. What is wrong with you? You don't act I've, like this for me. What are you doing? I'm sorry, coach. My bad. Real, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll get it together. <laughs> you know, why not coached, do that with the teacher who surfs? My favorite thing to do as a teacher is reach out to the varsity coaches when student athletes have issues. <laughs> um, yeah. So back to my question. If you could teach an elective outside of your discipline, what would it be? I'll go first. I got one. I would want to teach something about, I would go content creation, podcasting, video, website, graphic design, all the things I've got experience. Oh, shut up. Waving your hands. Can't wait to hear your answers. This is the stuff I get passionate about. AJ knows in my social studies class, the lessons I get most passionate about are the ones where I sneak technology into the social studies curriculum. And my kids mm-hmm. notice it too. So it would be tech. It would be podcasting, content creation, um, things like that. So that would be me. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> what about you, Ryan? Did? Gardening. We'd go, we'd have a farm, <laughs> uh, either an urban farm. If I'm in the big metropolis that, uh, Eric likes to claim we live in or, uh, we, well, it's not a big metropolis, but compared to where you're from, it is. But wait, don't you have goats? <laughs> it is. Ryan's got goats and chickens and all kinds of animals. Yep. Yeah. So depending on the size of the area, I mean, I'd I'd either pull them out. Actually, where our school is at has a giant place you could actually literally farm with machinery. Um, It's it's we've got a big enough lot. However, 
I think, you know, we've got all these food deserts, you know, no matter what city you live in and how cool would it be to do like uh, the growing power, which doesn't exist in uh, Milwaukee anymore. But uh, that was all about teaching kids how to farm uh, and, and adults too in their neighborhoods and, and kind of eliminating those food deserts. And so I get totally pumped up about that thing. Love it, Ryan. Eric, how about you? Well, I like your idea and, and I'm kind of techie. And I used to actually do this when I was a uh, technology teacher in middle school, but we had like a live um, news broadcast once a week. You know what I'm saying? So, so throughout the week, what we would do is we would email the teachers and or I'd email the teachers and say, Hey, do you got anything cool going on in your class this week? And they would email me. Yeah. And I would send like a crew out to go interview the teacher, interview some of the kids, take some video of the kids actually doing it. And then kind of slice that together and make a little video of it. And we would do that for a variety of different teachers uh, so we'd have our news broadcast, but then we would cut away to stories that we have pre-made. And, um, you know, that would just play live for the class, like for announcements on like Friday mornings or or we could have them, you know, right now I'm trying to get some TVs for our building that, um, you know, we'll have a couple in the cafeteria and some down the hall where announcements will go and stuff and just have this class that completely keeps all of these daily announcements and, and throw some um, PSAs up there from time to time and just a, a news broadcast really for twofold to give those kids the opportunity with the video editing and the speaking in front of the camera, but also to highlight our school because we'll put that on the website and maybe make a podcast out of it to where other people can actually come and see what their kids are doing. And if kids know that the work that they're doing has the potential to be on the website and then an audience outside the school will come in and look at it. They may be a little bit more motivated to do some high quality work. So that might be a cool class for kids to want to take that are interested in that kind of stuff. But it will also be a cool class for kids that are in their regular classes because they're going to be wanting to show their A game because they want to get online and get recognized by, you know, the world. Stacey, before I ask my question, what's yours? Um, I was thinking of... Um like reading and writing in like a fandom, right? So getting like super nerdy about the books that we read, which just kind of speaks to my inner dork, right? So like, I don't know, some kind of like fan fiction type thing. I don't know. I'm Something a big like dork. I'm a big dork. I am. And we love you. <laughs> I, immediately, I immediately geeked out. And Chris, when you raised, um, when you held up the comic book earlier, I was like, I just all the different fandoms that kids get into. Mm-hmm. I Hold love on. that. I, I actually I teach a, a unit on that, so it's fun. I held up a magazine. That's that was a, a magazine? magazine? Yes. You, okay. Comic books, please. I'm sorry, you're a graphic oh, novel. It's a comic. <laughs> AJ, what about you? Uh, mine mine would just roll in the things I love. Sports and history. So it would be sports through history. And it would be what's going on during the time periods and, and what was happening in the sports world. Is it? That's about. Oh, I have visions of a league of their own, right? Like where you learn sure. about like some of the historical things. Absolutely, <laughs> it's one of my that, favorite that, movies. That sounds like you say that. I envision him telling kids not to cry. There's no crying in class. <laughs> that that happens anyway. <laughs> I think you're not doing it right. Oh, sorry. Uh, all right, guys. Before we uh, put a bow on this bad boy, why don't you tell us another episode that you would like our listeners to check out from the Peg Doesn't Fit. You can each get well, one if you want to. You don't have to have the same one in mind. 
Well, I kind of want to, I guess this is going to be a future episode, but I, I do want to talk about our idea on badging uh, real quick. And we are going to be doing a future episode. We're going to be getting a guy on that's that's talking about maybe some work that he's doing with some school districts on the badging. But going back to the idea of trying to get the community involved and stuff, if we could somehow get rid of the grades Hmm. and and go towards competency badging. So I guess this would be kind of plug in a f- previous episode we had with Ross Parker. Uh, we talked to Ross Parker. Who, look at Ryan getting all excited because Ross Ryan found this guy. He's uh, he's actually from Hong Kong, so it was really awesome to to visit with him. But uh, he has created this this software called Free Learning, and within that Free Learning, it is just a, the whole thing is kind of set up with a uh, um, like a learning map. Right. And so each standard. So I'm thinking, how can I convert that into what we do? You know, and I'm thinking, OK, so and he called the um, the main circles would be like the stars. And then the the ones that went around it were like the little planets. So you might have like this main circle that's your standard and then it branches off. There's a variety of different lessons that all relate to that standard. And once a student demonstrates mastery in that. And it's not like a Khan Academy type of thing where, you know, the teacher's not involved. It's all digital and they go on and they pass and then it unlocks it. I mean, the teacher actually has to unlock it. So the kid has to submit the work. Um, the teacher evaluates it, provides some feedback. Kid does some revisions, whatnot. Once they master that, they it unlocks that. But then I was thinking they could earn a badge that pops into a backpack that goes with them wherever they go. So so you get this badge that I've mastered, you know, I, I don't know how to retell a story. I mean, whatever. That's that's my badge. Right. If that's the standard, I get that badge. And then so he's got way at the top, like like nuggets, like Minecraft and other stuff that kids want to go to. But they can't get to those until they unlock the thing. So basically what he was saying that when you walk into his class, Every kid in there is learning, but they're all learning at their different rates based off of what they want to learn. And you can go through this map any way you want, but each time you learn it, it unlocks another level that you can then go either, you know, it veers off and you can choose this one or this one. But the point of the badging would be that you're just getting that mastery badge that you understand that concept. And then again, back to our community episode, you know, if we've got our community members on board with this, then these online backpacks become resumes uh, because they, they can demonstrate proficiency in all of these different areas that they mastered throughout the school year. And then they become a resume. So that's that's the biggest thing about badging that I like because we've talked about it. And again, meeting with all these people. I don't know. Are you guys familiar with the um, what's it called? The uh, Mastery Consortium. Um, what's it called, Ryan? I think that's right. You've invited me to go look at it several times. Mastery Mastery Transcript Consortium. Have you guys heard of that? Only on your show. Got to be okay. honest with you. So you can. You should Google that. It's pretty cool because this stuff is actually happening. And we talked to Corey Henwood on a previous episode where he's kind of got a um, in his school district. You know, he's the innovative coordinator for his district. But within that district, they have a building that students can go to. And within this building, they don't have grades. Everything what they did is they got together with the commute with the community and and with with the key stakeholders. And they said, okay, what is the most important things that our kids need to learn? And they came up with like you know, I don't know, 50 different 
things. So within those 50 different things, everything in their class is geared towards learning those specific concepts. And as they learn those concepts, they develop badges. Now, the Mastery Transcript Consortium kind of serves as the middleman in this, and, and they have partnered with them. So when those seniors in high school want to go to college, you know, previous to that transcript being submitted to the college, the Mastery Transcript Consortium goes and visits with that college to explain to them what that transcript means. Uh, if the college is just unwilling to accept it, then they convert it to a grade transcript. Now, what's great about this is that in Utah, where Corey Henwood is from, they've actually passed a legislation to require the in-state universities to accept those um, mastery transcripts. So things are actually happening uh, throughout our country that is very inspiring and motivating to me. It's just a matter of how can we get it broader? Because again, you know, talking to David and I'll give you a quick shout out, David, but you know, the focus needs to be on the skills and grades. A lot of times they get in the way uh, it's like I was talking about with the evaluation, you know, and, and even we're doing standards reference grading in our district, but we've got some kind of formula that converts that to a letter grade. And parents call all the time. Why is my kids grade this? Why is my kids grade this? And the, the bottom line is, is that what is a grade really? Because if you're on the old point system where you're given grades and you're missing five assignments and that's why you've got a D and then your teacher says, well, you got a D because you're missing these five assignments and you do them real quick and you turn them in and all of a sudden now your grade jumps to an A. I mean, does that mean that you now magically know more than you used to know? Um, so the grading is not really a representation of what you know, but those mastery badges are on point. And if you get a kid that transfers from one school to a next, now you're not placing that kid in schools based off of letter grades and specific classes, but you're actually getting a document that tells you what exactly that kid knows and what they still need to learn. That's awesome. So that's, um, that makes it interoperable. Yeah. That's where I right. want to go with education is so we're focused on the skills and not on those arbitrary subjective grades that really don't tell us anything. So I guess to answer your question, I highlighted a couple episodes. Yeah. I highlighted our Corey Henwood episode. I highlighted our Ross Parker episode. And I've given a teaser that we're going to be meeting with the guy down the road and talking about actual badges and how that could work in education and translate into uh, business opportunities for students straight out of high school. That's perfect. Ryan, what do you got? You don't have a lot of episodes left, so if you want to plug a future one, I guess you can do that. Yeah, I don't have much left. Uh, yeah, I'd go with Ross Parker. Uh, that that one blew my mind because that's my other geek fest for myself is uh, blockchain technology, badging, all that stuff. Uh, I don't know how to make the kids get into that as a class, but whatever. I'd probably be so passionate about it they would. Uh, what I'm excited about with Ross Parker to piggyback on uh, what Eric said maybe is also that he takes it the PD route too. So mm, yeah, for he's, teacher. he's got a, he's got a test site. Uh, what is it called? Gorilla PD. Yeah, uh, Gorilla you can, PD. You can go experiment on his kind of doing this free learning uh, through the lens of being a teacher. And I think how cool would that be? You know, back to the whole, are we revealing the problems we're facing in our classrooms? What if that drove PD? And then what if that populated this learning map that we had as well? And we could go use that as kind of a way to badge, you know, 
uh, understand how all of these things that we're curious about or have problems with interconnect, because I think that's a, a powerful piece of the map that Ross provides is these kids can see that this part of coding that I did also connects with this thing in Minecraft. And so when we can kind of connect the dots too, I think that also helps in our learning. So I, uh, I'd plug that Ross Parker episode as well for the PD element as well for teachers. Yeah. And check that out on a PD element. I mean, how many times as a teacher, I mean, Chris and Stacy, do you, do you go to PD and you're like, I already know this, you know what I'm saying? Um, and I mean, you just go and or I don't need there, this. Right. Do it tomorrow. Yeah. I just, tomorrow. you know, you sit, you don't find value in it, but if we, if we can do our badging for our professional development, now we know which teachers have been trained on which aspects they have competency badge. I mean, you see it all over Twitter with the, uh, the Google and the MIE experts. And so you see all these Twitter handles that have these different credential badgings that says what they're qualified in. And if you have teachers and all of your teachers also have that backpack, you already know what they're good at and what they're not good at. Uh, and then you can start providing differentiated professional development, or it's easier for you to identify your resident experts that you already have in certain areas and reach out right. to them and say, Hey, do you mind getting a sub next Wednesday? Because I'd really like for you to take the day off, have a sub for your class, but I'd like you to come train our teachers in this because you already get it. And what you're doing is amazing. And I would like for, to see if you can help some other teachers get it as well. Um, and then when they get it, everybody's got that badge. It's just kind of attached to their name. I love that. And that perfectly sets me up for my final question of the evening, which is for you to, um, what is your favorite way to get PD? I think I have an idea. Um, but what does, what does, you know, favorite, your favorite P- PD model look like, whether you're offering professional development to others or you're the person who's learning in, in the group? My favorite PD is to have the teachers do it. Um, teachers are going to listen to teachers. I said this on a previous episode. Um, you know, we just had a great interview with Danny Bauer. That's going to release next week um, in terms of talking about leadership. But one of the things I said to him, I was like, you know, in some buildings, because, you know, if you look on Twitter, you know, People are just blowing up their administrators. They complain about administration. No offense, AJ, and and I don't take offense when I see it. Um, But sometimes teachers don't find the value in administrators. The only other person in the building that um, maybe is equally disliked is the instructional coach. Um, You know, teachers are like, what in the world? They're paying that person X amount of job. What do they do all day? You know what I'm saying? So when you have a person that's removed from the classroom lead professional development. Sometimes the teachers don't receive it as well from that person. Is a like I talked about earlier, that's somebody that's in the trenches with them. So set up a system to where you can build some collective efficacy within the staff and allow your teachers that are strong in certain areas, give them roles in leadership and help them get other teachers to replicate what they're doing in their classroom. I love Eric's answer. So I could just say ditto. One thing I'll add to it is kind of like the budget thing, making it public. What if you had like the school-wide dashboard or hub, whatever you want to call it, where I check in at PD time and it's like, I can see the resident experts on this badging board and go, heck yeah, I want to go learn from Stacy today Mm. because I want to do more of this. And it's kind of like that elective heavy PD element too. 
And I can go learn from you, Stacy, because that's where I feel like I have a gap and I want to level up. And, and so maybe make a little bit of a vis- visible visual uh, for a centralized dashboard of learning. We actually have that on our, for yes. our win- we, yeah, we do. We, it's, um, but it's part of our, like, I don't know, AJ and Chris, if you guys use Genesis in your, mm-hmm. right. So it's part of our Genesis profile in the background. It's, it's our, um, it's our SIS is our student information system, but it's also where they track all of our PD payroll. So there are two components and we can on any, any of those collaborative days where we have the hour and a half, you can go look and see what is being offered. And if something doesn't tickle your fancy, then you do put in for a K-5 collaboration and then you create your own. And then there's a whole um, Google form filled out for that too. So that if I know that um, my colleagues at the other four or five building are doing this really awesome thing. And I, I know them because I used to work in that building. Then I can go seek out Annie and seek out those great people and work with them. That's I a great idea. Time. I think I would also, I don't know how you do this, but I would free up time to get teachers and administrators outside their own buildings. And you're going to be taking some learning field trips, whether it's, you know, outside of education to begin with, um, or, you know, I, I would love to take uh, a group to a local hospital, it's a hospital in Kansas city, just to see the way they do leadership stuff. And I think like how much you can learn when you go visit something else, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's another classroom and another in your same district or a new district, you know, just get teachers out. So taking that dashboard almost up to another level too, is what if you could see for your region where you could go learn and level up? Absolutely. I love that. that. That was like the biggest message I got from your episode was that everything was based on the community, right? Yeah. So you had your three eyes and then all of that really brought us back into not only how, how can the community help us in schools, but how can our students also um, give back to the area where they're growing up? I really like that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, everybody. So, so that's going to conclude pod study number two. Again, we've been very fortunate to have Eric and Ryan here from The Peg Doesn't Fit, which you can find on all your podcast platforms, uh, or you can go to the the site, anchor.fm slash The Peg Doesn't Fit. Uh, Eric Steven is Eric J. Steven on Twitter. Ryan is Ryan D. Bartle, the number one on Twitter. And we thank them for being here, and uh, we hope you guys had fun with us. Thank you. We did. We did. This was great. And and again, you know, just listening to you, Stacey, talk about Genesis. I mean, that's the really the great thing about, you know, the podcast network and just being able to go on and, and us being able to interview or being able to go on and download and listen. I mean, a lot of the things that we think about, they're happening. We just got to find them and and find the people that are happening and figure out how can we do what they're doing. So there are great things that are happening all over our country with education and there are people all over the podcast network uh, talking about education and talking about this stuff. So it's been a really great learning experience for me and have really enjoyed this journey with Ryan and with you guys tonight. Thanks for having us on. This was great. Thanks for joining us. All right. And for our listeners out there and for anybody, let me, uh, let me ask you this. Do you get value from our conversations? Do you ever wonder if there was a way to support our efforts to create this podcast for you? Well, you can become an executive producer. You can show your support on a monthly basis or on a yearly basis. You can support Podcast PD by donating $5 a month 
or $50 a year. And as a thank you for your support, every executive producer will receive a podcast PD sticker and yearly supporters will receive a podcast PD mug and a t-shirt. For more information, visit podcastpd.com slash executive producer for more and more and more. Stacy, Thank you to our... Oh, excuse me. Oh, and thank you to our oh. current executive producers, Adam Kelly, Mike Brilla, who Brilla. just launched his podcast. So we'll have to uh, have him on and really talk about that. Uh, Stephanie Scrocky, who joins us here in the chat most Sundays that we do this. And Sandy Hartman. Thank you to our executive producers for all your support. We appreciate it. It makes the show go that much better. And before Stacy does the magic, I'm going to sneak in one podcast recommendation that I just came across um, earlier this week. And uh, AJ, you're going to love the name of this podcast. This is called The Dumb Dad Podcast. Here's the description. It's pronounced dad. The dumb is silent. Comedians Kevin LaFerriere and Evan Kyle Berger are just a couple of dads trying to have a little fun along the way. They believe the only way to erase the stigma of dumb dads is to get painted with uh hold on, let me try that again. We believe the only way <laughs> I'm reading <laughs> We believe the only way to erase the stigma that dumb dads get painted with is to parent harder, not dumber. So I will include a link to the show notes to the Dumb Dad podcast, which is I've listened to like four episodes. It's hysterical. But it's like the funnier version of the Daily Dad that AJ already turned this on to earlier in life. So check out the Dumb Dad podcast. I feel like you should have saved that for Father's Day or something. We don't typically produce shows on Father's Day. We do not. Right. <laughs> True story. True story. All right, on, Stace. Now is the music. time. Yeah. All right. So Good it up. is. It's bewitching hour. Um, I still have lesson plans to do, even though I'm not going to school tomorrow. Um, so. We are going to say goodbye. Say goodbye, Chris. Goodbye, Chris. Say goodbye, AJ. Goodbye, AJ. Say goodbye, Eric. Goodbye, Eric. <laughs> say goodbye, Ryan. Goodbye, Ryan. <laughs> goodbye, Podcast PD. Thank you for checking out this episode of Podcast PD. For links to everything that we discussed in this episode, you can visit the show notes at our website, podcastpd.com. To connect with the show on social media, we are at podcastpd on Instagram and Twitter, and we share using the hashtag podcastpd. To connect with Stacy, AJ, and myself, we are on Twitter at Mr. Nessie, at Stacy Lindis, and at AJ Bianco. We would love to hear from you, so please go to podcastpd.com slash feedback and send us an email, send us a voice message, whatever you need to do. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you share it with somebody that you think would get value from it. Word of mouth is the best way to share a podcast you enjoy, and we hope you enjoyed Podcast PD. We appreciate you listening, we appreciate your sharing, and we love creating this podcast for you. We'll see you in the next episode. Take care. <laughs>